Hey guys, this is Laura, and welcome back to Let's Chat Healthcare. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you coming on because um, the podcast is all about encouraging people to chat healthcare. And I think that it's really awesome when people like you are willing to come on and share their stories and kind of encourage other people to chat healthcare and um, kind of talk about these topics that sometimes aren't talked about enough, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's great. I definitely want to hear more conversation around healthcare and in the health space and just what's going on wrong, what can we do to fix things, how can we work together to kind of just find a solution for patients like myself. Yeah, I agree because I feel like it's such a big part of our lives. Like it's our health. Like that's really important. And um, I feel like if you're not really in the hospital that much, you kind of tend to avoid it. But I think we need to. And then once you need the hospital, you might be in there like all the time and you're like, what the heck? Like I didn't I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there's not a middle ground. Like you either have health issues and you visit the doctors in the hospital often or you just have the daily checkouts. And then there's people that just don't go because they're afraid of it or they're afraid of finding something out. Mm-hmm. And it's it's strange. <laughs> yeah. So can you kind of tell us your experience in the healthcare system? Kind of um, just a little bit. Your Can you kind of go over your story? Yeah, of course. So my story began, um, my um, health issues story kind of began when I turned 12. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, Mm -hmm. They did not correctly diagnose me at the beginning. First, it was celiac and went on a gluten-free diet and went from doctor to doctor. And I wouldn't say I was the patient advocate I was today, but I definitely if I didn't like something, I I was ready to find a new doctor. But Mm. after I got that initial diagnosis, it was just medication after medication, like a lot of other IBD patients. Nothing seemed to work. I got more and more sick. My colon just continued to kind of get worse. And it got to the point where I was just so sick, my colon was killing me. So I moved to Southern California and Mm -hmm. I went to college and I met a GI doctor who took one look at me and said, you need surgery. And that was a shock. I had no idea that was even an option. All the other doctors had only given me the medication route, didn't say that my colon would ever need to be removed. My Nana did have an ostomy bag growing up, but it was never spoken about. I didn't see it. It was hidden. And it wasn't like I was comfortable with the new this new conversation. So mm-hmm. I had my surgery at 19. They gave me a temporary ileostomy, and then at 21, it became permanent. And it was it all happened so quickly. The surgeon that gave me my first ostomy was amazing at what he did. I had all seven surgeries from him within a span of a few years, all in college. And the healthcare system, (laughs) yeah, I know it. It was just it was a lot, Um, and. Looking back now, I'm not the same person I was. I now know to speak up if I need something in the hospital. If Mm -hmm. someone doesn't want to give it to me or I'm not 
I don't want to say anything bad about people in the hospital, but sometimes you're not always treated the way you should be. And I wasn't, I was so afraid to speak up. I was afraid to ask for what I wanted. So for years and years, I just kind of let things happen to me. And Mm -hmm. I want patients to speak up and I want nurses to go the extra mile and see if, if they see something going on or pay attention to just how the healthcare works and go the extra mile, like I said, for your patients. And you you have no idea what it could do for them, you know? Um, Yeah. I think that's really important. I think, I think that you hit it right on the dot there. Definitely. And I also struggle with PTSD from medical trauma. So a lot Mm -hmm. of that was rooted from not being able to leave. So I was forced to stay in the bed. I was forced to have the bed alarm on. I was forced to have the leg squeezers. All of this still affects me to this day. And mm. I never felt that healthcare workers believed me. To this day, I'll, I'll go in and I need someone with me at all times in the hospital. I physically cannot walk into an ER without somebody. And they oh, oh, we can't because of COVID reasons. Or even in the past, like, oh, we can't have someone come back with you. They'll come back when you have a room. And then I explain my story. I say, I I do have PTSD. I I need someone with me at all times. Oh, but but you can't. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like I'm thinking of an analogy where, oh, you can't have any water to drink, (laughs) but you need that. Like I I need someone with me. I can't go back. I have a panic attack, which feels like a heart attack. That's my new Mm -hmm. thing. My PTSD causes me to have a panic attack and it, it feels like you're dying. So someone that struggles with that there needs to be more awareness around that. Healthcare workers need to be prepared for kind of mental health issues. And some are, some are amazing. But then others, I hate to say, I feel like they think I'm lying. And I I actually was recently diagnosed with PTSD. I knew I had it for years, but I started in therapy about a month ago. It's changed my life. But she diagnosed me within, I think, my second visit. She said, Kristen, you were right. You do have PTSD from medical trauma. And it it was just like amazing. I was validated for the first time about like this disorder and someone believed me and someone kind of just showed me that all these years I wasn't lying and it wasn't in my head, you know. And kind of validated your feelings. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. yeah. And now here I am. I'm just speaking and I'm on social media and I'm just trying to make a difference for patients who can't speak up. I want to be their voice. You know, something that I'm thinking about with what you said is that I think that there needs to be more trust. Mm. And I think that that's a really big phrase. (laughs) And I think that the trust needs to grow in so many relationships because in within the healthcare system, because like, okay, so we need the hospital executives to trust the bedside people more. So they, because, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, so if you say that you, if you fit into the category of a person that needs a bed alarm, if, um, if someone comes in like, a, like a management or like someone overhead, like that nurse might get in trouble, yeah. but, and I'm thinking like for me, I wouldn't feel like they would take it as a valid 
reason for me to say, oh, the patient prefers not to. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a valid reason. It's your health. Like, you're old enough to make that decision. And sometimes it's like, oh, like, it doesn't matter. Sometimes I feel like the response from the higher ups would be, it doesn't matter. You have to have the bed alarm on. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, those are not the people that should be making that final decision. It should be you. It should be you as the patient. And yep. it should be you driving your own care. And you and you know you best. You've been with yourself for your whole life. Like, I feel like, and you're old enough to make that decision. So, yeah, I think that there needs to be more trust, too, between, I think it's really hard because it's really hard between healthcare professionals and patients sometimes because you do get those patients that um, can be frustrating and can be mistrusting. But I think it's important not to apply that to everyone and take the time to understand and have a conversation and initiate that trusting relationship like at the beginning of your stay. So I don't know. I was just thinking about trust a lot with what you said. Yeah, I 100% agree. Now I have my doctor reach out to the nurse manager before I'm even admitted into the hospital. And they have a conversation and it kind of sets the feel for my stay in the hospital. So they discuss me being able to get out of the bed to walk around and kind of, I think the bed alarms, it's definitely for safety. And I think it's protocol But for me, I'm here and this is my hospital stay. I'm paying to Mm -hmm. stay here. I'm I'm the patient. So to me, if I'm abled, I after surgery, I get up and walk around. So if it is not a safety hazard, there should be no reason why the bed alarms need to be on. With Mm -hmm. that said, it's not the nurse's fault. There is someone above them saying all the patients need to have this, this is how it goes, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to speak with my doctor beforehand and kind of have this written off. But the thing is, it's frustrating because every time there's a new nurse, then it happens again and I have to talk about it. And I feel like it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do that much. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you already have so much on your plate with getting admitted into the hospital, having to coordinate. I mean, I think it's awesome that you do and you're advocating for yourself, but having to coordinate those calls, having to coordinate that relationship, it just adds so much stress onto an already stressful situation. I agree. Um, Not having this plan set in place and not fighting for what I want in healthcare, I would not be the, I wouldn't be as healthy as I was today. I mean, Mm -hmm. just to get a medication approved or recently I had to get um, just a simple drug that goes with my specialty medication and it was out everywhere. I had to call every single pharmacy and then I had to go back and call the specialty pharmacy again. And I had to call the doctor to make sure the insurance approved it. And this was to get my medication that I needed in a few days. I had Mm -hmm. to jump through all those hoops. Patients should not need to do that. It should not be this hard. And also like, okay, them saying we're closed for the day, call back tomorrow or we can get it tomorrow. That's kind of like, might not seem like a big deal, but sometimes missing one day of that medication can make a huge difference. It can. I mean, getting my medication late can. I'm sure it is possible that it gets, I may be coming out of remission. I get my specialty medication every two weeks. 
And in my head, I could be a couple days late and then it may just not work anymore. So it's it's my life that we're talking about. When you say, oh, we're mm-hmm. closed, we'll get, you'll get it tomorrow, or it's back ordered. What if it was your life? What if it was your daughter? What if it was your mom that needed this medication? So it's just perspective. I have such a, a, a different perspective and outlook on life now that I've gone through all of this. I appreciate each day. I wake up every day. You know what? I get to go to work. I get to go on a walk outside. And some people don't see life like that, and that's okay. But it's it's just so difficult being a patient. But I, f- I think I've come to terms and I've, I've gotten the ropes down of <laughs> how to kind of work my way and kind of, I hate to say this, but get what I want and what I need for my health. Mm-hmm. Um, and along that way, I'm not mean. I'm not on the phone screaming at people to do this. I'm following up. I'm, I'm very friendly. I'm currently working in customer service. I manage a team. So, <laughs> so I you know, know what it's like to have know, phone etiquette. Yes, I know what it's like when people are just so upset and they're screaming at you and I do not want to scream at you. I don't scream at nurses. I don't scream at doctors. I just tell them, you know what? This is what I need. I'm not going to be taking that medication. I just want to let you know because I don't think it's medically necessary for me. It may be just be like, oh, Tylenol every um, few hours in the hospital, or this is for anxiety. You know what? I, I don't want to take anything for anxiety. I'm good with the Tylenol, things like that. So speak up. Mm-hmm. If you need something as a patient, speak up. That would be my advice towards other patients. Yeah, I think I think I can tell that you've learned a lot. And I think that it's really awesome that you have arrived at this place because going, like you said, through all the things that you have, you could have been in a different place. So I think it's really beautiful that you're at the place that you're at right now. I agree. It's It's been a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> Can we kind of go back a little? So you got a misdiagnosis when you were 12. When When did you get the correct diagnosis? I think it was about a year later. So I started, I got my colonoscopy and my endoscopy and um, they had said it was celiac. I, it was, I remember this doctor and they just, I don't know what was going on. I was severely malnourished and underweight and they put me on a gluten-free diet. So basically I couldn't eat anything. <laughs> and then I think maybe the colonoscopy might have been after that, and that's when it was correctly diagnosed. I think maybe they just didn't do the correct testing and trust, and they didn't trust the patient. And I mean, I had blood in my stool, and I had severe abdominal abdominal cramping, and I had fatigue, and then they said I had celiac. So it doesn't really sound like celiac to me, but mine were definitely not markers of celiac. So mm-hmm. I had that colonoscopy and endoscopy and then they did correctly diagnose me. And then I just started, started on the drugs. And I was so young. I remember my first medication was Pentassa, eight pills, mm-hmm. like a few, I think a few times a day, like eight pills, three times a day. Oh something crazy. I couldn't swallow pills. I didn't take them. I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I've struggled with anxiety my whole life. So a young, a young girl saying that they she needs to take all this medication, going to doctors, you know, I would mm-hmm. rather just not. And I didn't want to face what I was going through. And then they went to the injection medications. So I had to do those. That's not something that you can, I'm not going to take the pills. Yeah. So Remicade worked for a little bit. 
I did Intivio, Stellara, Tasibri, all of them. I think we tried for a couple months and they were not successful. And I kind of jumped from doctor to doctor because it just seemed like I was a guinea pig for so long, which it wasn't their fault looking back. They needed to try all the drugs. Maybe the next one would work or maybe this one. They were in different drug categories. Maybe these ones work, but these wouldn't. Prednisone was what I believe kept me alive for so long because I was so sick, nothing was working. So they just kept having to put me on these high and long doses of prednisone. But because because um, it's about inflammation in your colon and the prednisone kind of kind of reduces that inflammation. But the side effects of prednisone are pretty strong. Did you feel any side effects from them? Oh, yeah. I have stretch marks all over my legs. My I had a moon face. My whole mood just completely – I'm a different person on prednisone. I'm angry. I'm agitated. I couldn't sleep. I started to take them not at night, so it was a little bit helpful, but when you had to take them all day long, yeah, I was like insomnia and – I just gained all this weight and then lost all of it when I went off of it. They were very severe. I didn't, I think some of my friends have had like hair loss, but I'm lucky to not experience that. I can't, I'm thinking about you in this situation and it's hard enough for teenage girls to get through their teens and then having to deal with all of this on top of that. Can you kind of give me, tell me like, how did it, affect you at that time? Of course. Like thinking back to that time or even how does it affect you now? Yeah. So I remember distinctly a um, time I was 16. I remember I have photos. That's why it's, I remember so much. That was one of the years in high school that I had brown hair. I've been blonde for so long. I just remember this photo and my face was just so fat. And I remember being in high school and that year probably missed like 45 days out of the semester. Mm-hmm. I was wow. an AP student, a drama student. I played golf. I was a part of every friend group. I was friends with the football player and cheerleaders and the drama students and the smart kids. And I felt like I was a part of everything, but I was also a part of nothing. I wasn't there. I was like on autopilot. When you see something, you're physically there, but you're just like, you just see everything fast forward. You're like not there. So I think I was deprived of a high school experience. I may have been a part of everything, but I was sick the entire time. And those are really formative years they too. Are. You learn a lot. And I, I didn't, I think even to this day, it affects me because I'm a lot more naive and um, I just think the world is a lot different than it is. I, I just think too great about people and, oh, no one could ever do that. When I found out that people in high school like partied and they had alcohol when they were young or they were sexually active, that was just like news to me. When I went to college, I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, everybody did that? Like, Or just even things that went on in the world. Every, I was so protected because I was so sick. I didn't know anything that was going on. I don't think my parents tried to keep it from me, but I was so focused on getting through the day without, I don't want to say dying, but without like just completely shutting just down. Just trying to live. Yeah, live. Yes. I was surviving every day. 
And I had no idea what other high schoolers were even thinking about and experiencing because I did not experience that. So I think Mm -hmm. I had a late start in life. I mean, I didn't start my period until college. I, so my body started developing. I started becoming a woman in college versus high school. A lot of young women start, their body starts transforming when, I mean, even maybe middle school. And I was so late to the game. I, I had to learn a lot and I mean, the dating and just everything. So looking back like at that one year on prednisone, I'm just thinking like I was so sick. This drug was keeping me alive. It was keeping the inflammation down. So my colon wouldn't progressively get worse quicker. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. getting sicker and sicker, but when I was on the prednisone, at least it pressed the pause button. Mm. Yeah. I can't imagine the psychological effect. So you were, you kept going through this through your teenage years. And then you said during college, is that when you made the decision to get the ostomy? Correct. That is when I had the first visit with my doctor. I Mm -hmm. had been, I think it was the summer in between my freshman and sophomore year. I went to see this doctor who my uncle actually met at a conference. It was for research for Crohn's and colitis. And he's like, you have to see her. Her name is Marla Dubinsky. She's amazing. It's like, another doctor. Okay. (laughs) I'll go. Cedar sinai Sounds good. Saw her and she changed my whole life. I have, I owe her everything. She, she saved my life. And I say that, I know the surgeon did the surgery, but if I did not meet this amazing doctor who wanted to help me for the first time, I found a doctor that I felt just wanted to help me in any way that she could. I don't know where I would be. It's it's crazy looking back at life, experiences like that just change everything. So she she looked at me and she said, after hearing your whole story, Kristen, you need surgery. You need an ostomy bag. And I was like, no, I don't. Like, like what do you mean? And then it was just that whole that whole time was a blur. A few days later, I was in surgery, woke up with a bag on my stomach. Surgeon told me it was going to be temporary. You know what? We're going to give your colon a break. We're going to heal it and just disconnect your intestine and we'll hook it back up and you'll be good to go. And that conversation also haunts me to this day. Honesty. <laughs> it's very hard for me to trust doctors and surgeons because of something that you say to a patient like that. It's, it's super hard. I knew he probably wanted to be positive, but I need honesty. I need you to tell me, you know what? I don't know if this is going to be temporary. There is yeah. a chance it can be permanent. And it was permanent. Two years later, he took everything. He took my whole colon rectum. It was a total colectomy and it was gone forever. And I had that bag on me and it was going to be there for the rest of my life. And you have no idea what that did to me. It was, it was horrible for years. I thought my life was completely over. And again, that's why I speak. That's why I talk about what I went through. Patients think that when they have the surgery, but nine years in, it was the best thing that could ever have happened to me. I, mm-hmm. My life was saved. I can live a normal life and I go to the bathroom a different way. What's the big deal, you know? But that's not what you think about when you have the surgery. Mm-hmm. And when you're promised that it's going to be reversed, don't worry. You're 19 in college. It's going to be reversed. 21. Nope. It's permanent. Sorry, your colon didn't heal. 
So when you initially got it, did you think that you thought that it wasn't going to be forever? Correct. I did everything that the doctors and surgeons said to get this bag off my stomach. Okay, my colon's going to heal. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to stay hydrated. I'm going to do everything that they say. And then I'm, I'm free. My Crohn's is going to be better. I'm going to hit remission. And then I'll get the bag off my stomach. I got more and more sick. I gained, I gained 50 pounds. I'm trying to think. It may have been after they, yeah, I think I gained the 50 pounds after they took the colon out. So I got the bag and I was like, it didn't fix everything. And that's another thing that patients may think, oh, you get an ostomy bag and it's going to fix everything. No, you still have to find that medication that's going to keep your intestines um, uninflamed. I, I don't know if that's word. Hmm. That's going to normal. Be, yeah, <laughs> normal. Like not, not sick and just affecting your whole body. So, mm-hmm. well, I I do think that it's really great that you were able to recognize that that woman, the surgeon. Or whoever, I think she was a surgeon, right? The doctor, the GI doctor. The doctor, yeah. The GI doctor really wanted to help you. And I think that's really awesome that you're able to recognize when that does happen and not kind of like shut everyone out, you know, because I have met patients that have been through things like you've been through and they shut everyone out. Yeah. So I think it's really awesome that you're still able to let some people in and look at people positively. And I think that's really awesome. Definitely. I think everyone deserves the medical team that fits right for them. And it's not that a doctor is bad or a nurse is bad. It's maybe they're just not the right medical team for you. And Mm -hmm. now I know what a good medical team for me feels like because I have a great one. I moved from Cedars to USC. I needed a surgeon that was kind of better covered under insurance. Um, And he's that lovely thing. I didn't know until a couple of years ago that my dad was paying for an out-of-network surgeon for oh all gosh. of my surgeries. So it kind of gives you a, a greater appreciation for your parents. My parents are amazing. They've mm-hmm. they've been there for me for everything. But my dad, you know, he, he wanted the best medical care for me. And he said, okay, if the surgeon, I have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars this is what we're going to do. And I was like, no. When I found that out, I said, I'm moving. <laughs> I'm moving to another <laughs> surgeon. I went to um, Keck Medical and I'm with Dr. Lee, who's head of colorectal surgery. And he's amazing. And uh, my doctor is awesome. She's um, a great GI doctor. She actually speaks with all of the GI doctors at Hogue and Cedar. So they all speak. So it's it's really awesome. They like if they have a complicated patient, they'll, they'll all speak. And I, I think it's great. So, Yeah, I think something also that's really important to hit on with what you've kind of talked about is that I think some people, some patients don't know that you have options when sometimes it sounds like you don't have options. And I think that's something that I feel like you've started to learn going through is that sometimes when they come in and be like, oh, here's your medication for anxiety, like you can not take that. If you feel like, and obviously like if you need it and you're not at the mental place, that would be where the nurse can step in. But if you feel like you don't need it, you have the option to not take it. You have the option to not take pain medicine. You have the option. And I think that's something that's really important that you've learned that I think not a lot of patients know. Yeah. It's like, 
I'm learning the ropes. I actually just had a conversation like this and I'm actually going to be meeting with my surgeon on Monday to talk about surgery to move my stoma to the other side of my body. And the reason I've put off this conversation for so long is because of my PTSD. And looking back, it was a lot different when I had surgery. I was very sick. I have not had a surgery where I was healthy. You know, if I went and had surgery right now, I would recover a lot differently. I mean, that's what I would think. I'm sure they'll tell me on Monday, but I would go in, I'd get admitted, I'd be waiting for tests. So I would have to stay in the bed or when I did have surgery, I had to get the heparin and I had to get the bed alarm on and the leg squeezers. Those are all triggers for my PTSD because they're forcing me to do them. And that's how it is in my head. So now for this surgery, I'm going to go in, I'll get the surgery, I'll wake up and in a couple of days I'll go home. It's not going to be the same. And mm. I think that's very important for patients to kind of realize. You said a little bit ago about not writing everyone off and it, it's hard because Mm -hmm. So many people may have done a couple of things that trigger you, but you can't write them all off because there are amazing nurses that just kind of just transform your whole stay at the hospital. They make it so it's just easy to be there. And then you may have nurses that are a little bit overworked or too busy and it may be kind of hard, but <clears throat> push through. You're going to get another nurse. You're going to get someone that's going to listen and see what you need. And you are allowed to say, no, you're in charge of your medical care. Anything that you don't need, you can say, Hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Can you let my doctor know? Um, I'm going to kind of deny this. There's been one time that I left the hospital against medical orders. And the whole reason for that was I woke up from a scope and then the doctor had to leave. So I couldn't get the results. And they're like, Oh, we're going to have you sleep, stay overnight and we'll give you the results tomorrow. I was like, N you have no idea what it it's like for me to spend the night in the hospital with, you know, my PTSD. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to go home. No, no, no. You have to stay. You have to get the results tomorrow. My doctor is going to call me tomorrow. Like, what do you mean? So I went home and I called her the next day. Or no, she called me and she said, hey, like, what's going on? And I said, you weren't around to give me my results and they were going to make me stay. And she was just shocked. She agrees with me every time I talk to her. I, You know what? I have this idea. She completely supports me. Not once does she ever say, no, Kristen, we're not doing that. Occasionally, she may bring up methotrexate, which is on my no list. But other than that, she just completely supports me. So I left the hospital against medical orders. And that's and like she a, agreed with that, me. You know? And that's a really strong stance to take, I it think, is. too. Like to be able to be confident in yourself to do that? I was not like sick. I had a scope and they were waiting on results. You know, they're like, you need to stay one more day so you can get these results. I had a pick line in. The pick was really hurting me. My mom was there. I was having so much anxiety just being in the hospital for the first time in a long time. I was like, I'm going home. And they're like, okay, you're signing this saying that you're going against medical orders. I was like, yeah, I, I am. My mom was frustrated. But the next day she apologized. She's like, Kristen, you were right. And I was like, I need to make the call. It's my life and it's my health. And that's, that's what I'm going to be doing. That's what's best for you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking back to what you said about not writing every healthcare worker off. And I think it goes the other way, too, because 
as a healthcare worker myself, I feel like you have those really frustrating patients and you have those um, really difficult ones and even some that are just mean. And I think it's important as a healthcare worker to not group all your patients into those categories. Like, because I think sometimes, and I can see doing this from your perspective too, is you put up a defense mechanism because you deal with such difficult things all the time. And it, it takes a really strong person to be able to go into every situation open again. And I feel like this is kind of an emotional aspect it does. of healthcare, but it's important. And I think it does. And I've had to remind myself too, like after I have a difficult patient and I have to walk right into the next room, this patient is not that patient. And this story is not that story. And it's exactly what you're saying the other way. So yeah, I think that's so important. And I think it's really, really awesome that you're able to do that. And I think that's really strong. It's great to hear your perspective as well, because I'm sure there are a lot of kind of frustrating patients screaming at you and I am different. So I may say, you know what, I need to go home. And you may think that I'm leaving against your like suggestions and stuff, but really think about it. Am I sick? Yeah. Is anything going to happen to me? Am I just waiting on scope results? I feel and like- And I can come back if I need yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And it just mm-hmm. a couple doctors would come in and like, are you sure you're going to leave? And I said, yes, I, I am. And I just started to get even more frustrated because with PTSD, it makes you a different person. So also as a nurse, I hope you know that some people who are a little bit more frustrated- the PTSD gets to you. It's It feels mm-hmm. like the whole walls are caving in and you can't breathe and you're suffocating. And when someone's telling you something that you can't do but you need, you're just like your defense mechanisms come in and you're like fight or flight. I need to just survive right now. Mm-hmm. So you need to tell them, you know, I need this now. I need this. I can't breathe kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's great that once you're with a patient like that or a patient that's just – awful to you in general, just because that's how they treat you. I hope that if you left a room and you went into a room with someone who's actually dealing with PTSD and they may be a little bit more angry, you don't mistreat them because this other person was mistreating you. Yeah. Wow. I think that was, that was just like really key and really awesome. Wow. I, I feel like we really hit on some really strong, like base, emotional, but also like psychological aspects of being a patient and also also being a healthcare worker. So yeah, I, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Yeah, I think we touched on a lot of topics and hopefully anyone listening can really learn different perspectives from a nurse or a patient and kind of um, work with us to change what's going on in healthcare. Thank you so much. And yeah, just thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me.